So you've got warnings here in the book of Malachi and instruction here. Now, what we're going to see is the time which Malachi is and when it was written. So it would be the time of Ezra and Nehemiah and those books in the Bible. So this is after Zechariah and Haggai. The temple appears to be constructed, and yet the people are still struggling with faithfulness to God. What we're going to see is that the issues they struggle with is in regards to their, their home, in regards to marriage, and how that is also connected to how they worship God. They think and they treat worship to God as a very wearisome thing. It wears on them. That doesn't sound like anything today. You don't hear people having, you know, churches having problems with marriage issues and people feeling, oh, why do I need to go to church and getting weary from assembling and, and gathering together. Well, we do. And that happened in Jesus' day. And we see it happening in the time of Malachi in this period of which will conclude the Old Testament for the next 500 years. Uh, the problems don't change very much. Let's read, let's get right into Malachi chapter 1 and read this. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? That's a strange kind of thing. If, if you say that you love someone, they say, how, do you, how have you loved me? What are they saying? They're, they're being skeptical. You don't really love us. Isn't that a strange thing for Israel to say? after they've been delivered from captivity and been able to restore their home. And then we read here, Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. Wait a minute, how can God hate someone? Well, this is not talking about someone. It's talking about the nation of Esau, the nation of Edom. And when they come back, and they're living in their land, and the Jews are living in their land, now the Edomites had moved into the land of Judah, and now they're going to kind of mix in with the Jews. In fact, when we get to Jesus' day, as we know, Herod was an Edomite and ruling over the Jews. So, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob, I have loved Israel, is what he's saying. But Esau, Edom, I have hated, I have detested. So God has this love-hate relationship that we often see with wicked people. He loves them, he sends them a savior, but he hates their wickedness, the injustice, and what they have become. We see this throughout the book of Psalms. Now, a lot of people don't like that idea. It's usually the concept is that God is all loving and he hates no one. But if you go reading through the scriptures, you do find God saying, specifically in the Psalms and right here, that God does hate. And he hates in the sense of detesting what these people are about and what Esau and the Edomites have become as a nation. So God says, I have laid waste his hill country. Remember the Edomites living in the Red Hills on the other side of the Jordan River, on the east side of the Jordan River. I've laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. It's become a wilderness, a wasteland, because they have turned against me. And we see that fulfilled. As we've looked at the Edomites before and we studied the book of Obadiah, we see the end of the nation of Edom and what they have deserved and what's come upon them. And we also see here God is saying, again, I've shown preference to you. Today, even when you look at the, many of the nations and who have survived throughout generations, the Jews stand out. Um, look at here at Malachi chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may rebuild, but I will tear it down. 
and they will be called the wicked country. That's who they are. And the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Why? Because they never repent. They never turn to God. Your own eyes shall see it. You're going to see this happening. And you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. In other words, God has invokes justice upon the nations, not just upon Israel. He's not merely the God of Israel. He's the God of all nations and that all people should worship him and turn to him. God judged the wickedness of Edom and brought ruin on them, but God loved Israel. This is the beginning of the book of Malachi. God saying, I love you. I have preserved you. But look what you're doing. Look at how you have sinned. Look at how you are robbing me. Look at how you are weary in your worship, the sacrifices that you offer. So, why do many sin and yet question God's love? Do, do, people don't do that today, do they? They say, oh, God doesn't love me, He doesn't care for me. I mean, people say that, and they rebel against God in that. They live in a sinful life, and they, they think, you know, worship and, and the study of the Bible and prayer, what a wearisome thing. And so, they question God's love. Oh, how do we know there is a loving God? And why should we trust Him? Look here a little bit further. God loved Israel. And He loved Israel, so He corrected them through Malachi. Malachi means messenger. And as I mentioned before, here He is a messenger, and He's presenting the sins of the Jews. Malachi, again, wrote during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. We see that there's a governor there in Judah. We see the temple is built. These things are, you stand out when you read the book of Malachi. And Malachi spoke more than most the biblical, than the, almost all the biblical writers about God's covenants, especially of the Old Testament. He emphasizes it. Let's uh, also read now, let's go to Malachi chapter 1, and we're going to look in verses 6 through 14. Malachi chapter 1, 6 through 14, and draw some observations from what's happening here, what Christians should see about this, and how the priest offered uh, sacrifices at the Lord's table. So you're looking at the altar, you're looking at what Israel is sacrificing to God, and we begin to see their sins. It says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. And if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? And so they're claiming to honor God's name, but they're despising him. What are they doing? Look at verse 7. By offering polluted food upon my altar. Your offerings are polluted. They're perverse. They're wrong. They're not sincere. But you say, how have we polluted you? Notice this questioning. It, it's, it's as though someone who's like, oh, I can't be guilty. They're very prideful. In fact, God has to speak against Israel, and he says, you have become arrogant. Let's keep reading. But he says there, by saying the Lord's table um, may be despised, you've polluted it. Look at verse 8. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? You know, what's your definition of evil? Then God says, you're offering me the worst sacrifices. And he says, and when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? You give that to your governor, to somebody in honor, 
and you give them what's lame, what's blind, the worst of your flock, how would they receive it? Verse 9, And now entreat the favor of God, and he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. And he showed favor, and he will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. And God's saying here, why don't you just shut the gates to the entrance of the temple if you're going to do this? He says, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. The application is pretty clear here. God wants worship that is sincere and is the best that we can give him. That means us being prepared. That means us making sure that we give him the best of our attention, of our time, when we're in the assembly, when we're out of the assembly, that we're mindful about what we're reading, what we're studying, that we put the time into it, that when we think about what we're going to pray for, that we take time to think about those in particular who need our prayers. Maybe those who we haven't seen, those who have been struggling with sickness or illness. But you think about that. How can we not be like this, that what God says is clearly wrong? Look here in verse 11. He says, for now from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts, anticipating a time of pure worship among all the nations. God says, my name is going to be great and you either respect it either way, but you know that I'm not going to accept what you're giving me. Verse 12 through 14. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And there's that, a word that stands out. Oh, it's so wearisome to offer offerings to God, to worship Him. You, you often hear that description of the Old Testament. And I think a lot of us might say, it. I, I'm glad, I thank God, but I don't live under the Old Testament and under those laws and the things that you do under it. Well, imagine living under it, and here you have these Jews who've been delivered by God, and God's given them instructions on how to worship, but now they're saying, oh, it's so wearisome. I don't, to worship God, to give Him the offerings, to give Him what He wants. He says, and you snort at it, you're arrogant about it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. Remember the law of Moses commanded, don't offer those things to God, things that have been killed by another animal that lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who is a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. God says, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Do you fear and respect God's name? When you do, you worship him. And you don't do it out of weariness, and you don't cut corners. You want to do it the way that God has told you to do it. You want to follow his instructions. Even today, we think about the application of it. We eat from an altar, it says in Hebrews chapter 13. We eat from a sacrifice. We read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. When we participate in this table, the Lord's table, as Christians, we participate and we commune with Christ and his sacrifice. Do we profane it? Even the Corinthians struggle with that. Churches and Christians struggle with it today. Not doing it in a way that is pleasing and is acceptable to God. Another thing that stands out here, go a little bit further, get into chapter 2. 
And you start to see some other problems that are go, is going on with, with the Jews here. The priests here have a job of giving instruction, but they're only giving partial instruction. Now today, there aren't ministers and preachers out there giving partial instruction, is there? They're only giving you part of what... To, yeah, there are, isn't there? They're, they're everywhere. And so there's a great responsibility upon teachers, upon elders in the church, upon ministers, anyone who's teaching to do their best to give balanced instruction and not to overlook any of God's instructions. So we have the priest here erring. Let's read about that. Malachi chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says, But you have turned aside from the way. You've turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. How's that? You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. People don't know how to make their offerings. and give. The, the priests don't know how to behave because they're not giving, receiving the full instruction of God. Says the Lord of hosts, and so I will make you despised and abased before all the people. They're not going to respect you. Is there an issue with respect today for many ministers and preachers? Yes. Why? Because they don't lead by example they don't believe in what they're proclaiming i hear about preachers who'll preach the gospel and then behind closed doors say well i don't don't really believe this i just this is what i'm trained in and what i do the shameful thing it says i'll make you despise and abased among the in the among the people all the people in as much as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction so you know, we ought to talk about that. You know how people will pick over the Bible? They'll find certain passages they like and they'll stick to that, but they'll ignore other things. Here it is, happening in Malachi's time. Was that happening when Jesus came? Yes. So a lot of these, sin these sins, what we see here, are going to be carried on centuries later until the time of Christ comes. Later, the Apostle Paul declared to church elders, he did not shrink from preaching the whole counsel of God. That is what a minister and preachers and elders are to make sure that is done, that all the counsel of God is taught. Partial teaching God's word and weariness of worship. They're, they're tied to other immoral behaviors. They're tied to sinful hearts. What kind of sinful hearts? Well, you'll see a few of them right here. What was going on is also this. The men were marrying pagan women from other nations who were worshiping other gods. And God says, I told you not to do that. What you're doing is wrong. You read about this, you go to Ezra, uh, Ezra and read in chapters 9 and 10, you'll read more about this. God instructs them, you leave them, you put those wives away because they are not true. And you, they're, they're contrary to God's covenant. That's what God tells them to do. So what should... Christians draw from this? What do we learn from this? We also see something else. And, and it appears to me, and many of the commentators I was reading, that the men were married to Israelite women, didn't find favor with them, didn't like them after a while, the, the wives of their youth, and they thought that they would try to get an upgrade or something, and they divorce, because that's the other issue he mentions here. Let's read about that. Malachi chapter 2, 13 through 16. Malachi 2, 13 through 16. God says, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears. 
You cover the Lord's altars with tears, with weeping, groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. And so you have these um, priests and these worshipers not seeing God's favor. And God, why, why don't you show us your favor? And they can't understand why. And God says, this is why. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Malachi emphasizes that marriage is a covenant. And Malachi says more about marriage here than a lot of the other passages we have in the scriptures um, as far as marriage. And he seems to be building off of Genesis. And when you start to read what Christ says about marriage over in Matthew 19 and, and Mark chapter 10, he's drawing, it seems, from Jesus is, is building off of Genesis uh, chapter 2. And also building off what we read here in Malachi, that this is a covenant that is made. Verse 15. It says, did he not make them one? There's that reference to Genesis 2.24. They become one with a portion of the Spirit in their union. That's an interesting thought, concept there. The Holy Spirit is a part of the union between two who are faithful to God. And what was the one God seeking? Notice this. This is something that I guess I'm not supposed to read or to emphasize. And I know it can be offensive uh, to some but marriage, God, what does God want for marriage? He wants this, godly offspring. He wants godly offspring. So it makes sense that you're going to have two faithful people get married. It makes sense to us the application as Christians would be as a Christian, I want to marry someone else who is a Christian, who believes as I do, so that I can have godly offspring because that's what God wants. Now, in hindsight, the only thing we can do from, these, from this, if we've made mistakes in this area, is to repent. Let me add a little bit more to that. I'm concerned much about the church and about the mentality that children are a burden or that you can only afford so many of them. You know what I read in the Scriptures? I read in Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be given to you. God will take care of you. I also read in the Psalms that many children, to have a quiver full of children is a blessing. Well, what's a quiver full? If I'm going to get arrows and I'm going to fill the quiver full, uh, how many is that? So it is a blessing to have as many children as you can, to have godly children, and to trust God to provide. And that might step on some toes, but I think that is something that we need to hear again in the church. The godly offspring, he says, is what God wants. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord. The God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Now, if you're using a different translation, you probably notice one or two things here that are different from what I just read from the ESV. Um, let me see here. So it says here, for the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her. And so there's a, a different translation there 
But as far as the Hebrew, it can go either, either way. So it, some have it saying that God hates divorce here. Does God hate divorce? This is that passage. Well, it could be translated that the man who divorces is actually hating his wife and doing violence. And I think the application goes either way. We want to stay away from divorce. But these individuals here, these uh, Jewish uh, people, not only is worship wearisome, not only are they preaching half the truth or part of the truth, but they're marrying who they shouldn't marry, and then they're divorcing those to whom they should remain married to. There's a lot to learn from Malachi. One of the passages that stands out to me here again that was seems key is Malachi 2.17. How the godless um, hypocrites, you know, they, they think they're following God, but then they're so wearied by God. This is what we, we read. You have wearied the Lord. How can the Lord be wearied? Because of the way that you worship with your words, you don't mean what you mean. And it's, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. And by asking, where is the God of justice? Now, you hear these same things today. We hear people say, listen, everybody's good. You're good. Everybody's right with God. Believe whatever you want. Teach whatever you want. Worship however you want to. It's okay. It doesn't matter where you assemble, what church you're a part of. And then the other question here is, where is God's justice? And you hear a lot of people saying that. But God is just. He's always just. But we're going to go through hard times when we sin and we rebel against God. Now, how would you worship if Christ was present with us bodily? Would it be any different? Would you be more mindful, more focused? Would you think more? Would you prepare more? Would you go to bed earlier the night before? Would you make sure that you had everything in order before you, you assembled together in, in the church or, or whether you're getting ready to teach a Bible class or studying the Bible on your own? Are you going to take more time to look at and answer questions as you're going through it if Christ is there in your presence? We, I, I think about that passage here as I have up on the screen. Matthew 18, 20, where it says, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. God is present with us now. And we need to give Him our best and not act as though we're being wearied by everything that we've been given. I think people become weary of worshiping God when they don't know who God is and they're not in awe of Him and they don't feel compelled to worship Him. And that's a sad state to be in. As we finish the, come more toward the end of the book of Malachi, there's three chapters and a fourth one, which is kind of short. But we see this, the Lord is coming and His messenger will prepare the way. This is the passage that we read about in the New Testament. Malachi 3 and verse 1, this kind of gives us an introduction to what we're going to read in chapter 4. But this is what Malachi says, he says, Behold, God says, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Who's coming? Who's going to prepare the way? Who are you talking about, Malachi? As we continue to study and, and read, we're going to see that that's John the Baptist. And then it says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. Did the Lord come to His temple after the way has been prepared? Well, of John the Baptist, did, did Jesus come to the temple? In John chapter 2, He came and He cleansed the temple. We see Him even at the temple for His circumcision as a child and then uh, talking 
uh, in the temple at age 12 in, in the Gospel of Luke. We see numerous times where Jesus comes in the context of the temple fulfilling this prophecy. And this is the messenger of the covenant. And I agree that this is most likely referring to Christ. Because if you keep reading the, the verses after it, that the, the, there's a messenger who prepares the way is different from the messenger of the covenant. Christ is the messenger of the covenant. In whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So as we think and we study on this, we see Jesus, we see him fulfilled. We've been going through all these books, especially the book of Zechariah that we just studied, and we've seen Christ. We see him predicted. Let's read another passage in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. We read about that first messenger who prepares the way. And this is what it says here. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And as we see from Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is that Elijah who's prepared the way. What we study tonight, I think, is a good addition to what we looked at this morning when we studied the subject of repentance. In Revelation 3 and verse 19, as referenced this morning, Jesus says he reproves and disciplines those whom he loves. When I read the book of Malachi, I still hear God's love in his instruction, in his correction to do what's right. We also read in the book of Malachi, Malachi that God's judgment is coming upon those who are wicked. And we need to make sure that we are right with God. I think it would be good to finish right here. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Malachi says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant, and that's that word that's been repeated in Malachi, all the arrogant, they're haughty, and all evildoers will be stubble. How will they be stubble? They will burn. They reject God. In that great burning day, we, we get the description of that, of those who are rebellious against God. We keep reading, The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So those passages of judgment and warning that remind me a lot of Jesus' preaching. Jesus preached more about hell than anybody. We need to be ready concerned about judgment, concerned that we're not being wearied in worship, that we're giving God our best, that we're not profaning the covenant to our spouse, that we live in a way that is holy. One of the other passages that stood out to me in the book of Malachi is God says, I have not changed. I haven't moved. He says, those who return to me, that he will return to them. We've seen that throughout the 12 prophets. Tonight, you need to return to the Lord. You need to make things right. We ask that you do so, that we, we want to encourage you and pray with you. If you need to put on Christ in baptism, having believed and confessed your faith and repented, you can do that now. Let's sing together.